Today is January 9th of 2024. I had to think a minute before I gave that year number because we have now started the first podcast of the Chapter 49 podcasts in the new year, 2024. We're very happy you've joined us. I think it was the 19th of January when we last uh, spoke with all of you and delivered this presentation on uh, on YouTube, if you're watching that way. Of course, Chapter 49 represents most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. I'm Larry Lannon, a volunteer dealing with communications uh, for Chapter 49. And we welcome back the man who spent a little more than two weeks on leave and is now back in the grind, our Chapter President, Duncan Giles. So you get a small taste of what retirement might be like someday. Yep, a little bit. So, but that's uh, a little ways down the road for me at this point. Yeah, don't want to start any false rumors. You're not retiring. Yeah, yeah, I am not retiring. But, no, you have promised. You got a three-year term. You just started in October. You will, you will definitely be here for that three-year term. So you are committed to that. So I, uh, I don't have to worry about that because I retired. I retired over twelve years ago, Duncan. So I don't have to worry about the rumors. There's no rumor there. Uh, I just want to say one thing. We Again, we are recording this on the 9th of January, the night before a very important event happened. And Duncan, if you know anyone that might uh, be a graduate or an alumnus of the University of Michigan, you probably heard from them today. Yeah. yeah. University of Michigan, those fans are, are, are to the moon and back. They've just won their first national championship really ever since we had a playoff. I mean, the last time they won a national championship was back in the old, I'm old enough to remember this when they had your bowl games and you had no national championship game. Uh, the, the, the two wire services at the time, the Associated Press, which is still around and uh, United Press International UPI, which is still around in a very small version, each had their own poll. UPI pulled the, the press and AP pulled the coach coaches or maybe it's the other way around one had coaches one had uh the press and what always happened is they would vote as to who the top teams were in the number one team and there were many years duncan where they dis disputed each yep. other there were different number one teams you could say there was a consensus number one if you had that and it was just a matter of uh reputation or what people decided to vote in the press or the, amongst the coaches. So we actually have a, ch a championship uh, game now. It's going to expand into more teams next year. But University of Michigan uh, now has uh, a national championship. So congratulations to U of M grads. But I'll be really glad when they've kind of gotten over this and we don't hear from them anymore. Yeah, when you answer your phone and hear hail to the victors. Yeah, it's uh, just one of those things. But yeah, I think, I mean, Michigan, uh, you know, had some ups and downs during their season off the field, but on the field they were pretty powerful and uh, showed why last night against a very good Washington team. Yes, they were accused of sign stealing, something I'm sure no one else ever does. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I yeah. mean, I'm not defending them. I'm just saying sign stealing is a well-known art form in, in, in all of sports. I can put it and just ask uh, Bill Belichick. He'll tell you that one. Okay, now that we've finished our football discussion, let's get into our issues for this podcast. We've been away for a while, so we'll try to do a little catching up. But uh, really, what we're going to talk about now is something very contemporary, I mean, very topical news-wise, because we're recording this on a Tuesday. On the previous Sunday, there was an announcement 
that the Congress had agreed with the president and there's a budget deal. That's right, a budget deal. Now, what does that mean? It means in general that the agreement that was reached by previous Speaker McCarthy, President Biden and the Senate leaders, that, that they're actually going to go by that. And the reason they're going to go by that is because the new speaker realizes that if he doesn't go by it, even worse things could happen for his caucus and, and, and what they want to get done, whether we agree with it or not. So he's kind of seen the handwriting on the wall now that he's in office. Even though a lot of people in his own party are upset with him, he he's trying to deal with reality as it is before him. So it's a budget deal. Now, there are two things I want to say about this budget deal. There's one journalist that I, I, I read a lot, Jake Sherman. He has Punchbowl News, a newsletter. So I'm on TV just before we record this. And he basically said there was no way he could imagine short of a miracle happening in the next few days. Because we're at 10 days from now, the first deadline happens, not for IRS, but for a number of agencies to run out of money. IRS runs out February 2nd. But just to get that first deadline met and avoid even a partial government shutdown. He doesn't see how that could happen. Now, I read a very popular newsletter whose copyright is very important to them, so I won't quote them. But this one newsletter basically said, and just, just today, that they do not believe there will be a government shutdown. They're just not quite sure how the Congress will do it. So <laughs> this is a newsletter that's pretty accurate and tied in. And they're saying they don't think anybody wants a government shutdown, but they haven't seen the scenario by which it is avoided. So would like your thoughts, Duncan, on where this all stands now. Yeah, it's like you said, there's a framework. So, you know, as everybody always hears, the devil's in the details. And it absolutely is in this case. Um, you know, Speaker Johnson has said that he will not do or entertain another continuing resolution. Well, that's going to put that time frame and accelerate time frame. As you said, the January 19th deadline doesn't impact IRS, but it does impact other uh, agencies that NTU represents. And I can tell you those, those folks are nervous about a shutdown. You know, and one of the things they came back to and there was a lot of confusion. You and I had discussed this, a lot of confusion in the reporting about how they were going to impact the IRS. Well, because originally we heard they were going to take out another $10 billion that the IRS got from the Inflation Reduction Act. And actually, it's just accelerating, taking the money out of 20, all the money out of 24, instead of half of it in 24 and half of it in 25 that was agreed to previously. But... Could that change? Absolutely, because right now, as we said, we're just in a framework. So I think I think you're correct in you know in reading the tea leaves and saying nobody wants a shutdown, but it's it's gonna be really interesting to see how they can come out of that without having one or at least a continuing resolution. Let me clarify one thing, if if you would please, because there's a lot of confusion on this. And yes, you and I have talked about it, but the Inflation Reduction Act. The way that the debt limit fiasco was avoided was to take, I think, was a $20 billion out of the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, which is originally $80 billion. Do I remember that right? Yep. Okay, so it was $80 billion originally. $20 was taken out. This budget framework deal, whatever you want to say about it, is 
It's not taking any money away from that Inflation Reduction Act. It is changing the schedule on which it's going to be spent. So with that in mind, will that, as far as you know, impact any of the hiring plans or IT upgrades going on? From my understanding, no, it will not. They th they think they've got a plan in place. IRS uh, leadership has a plan in place to be able to continue to do that. Um, these are going to be funds that are going to be needed as we get further along. Uh, more continued hiring to staff up and continue to have retention. And then also the IT upgrades and system upgrades that we so desperately need to make things easier for employees and for taxpayers. So we will watch this carefully. Uh, again, if you have not done so already, we would ask that you follow or like our Facebook page, which if you go to Facebook, just go to NTEU Chapter 49, Indiana, that exact phrase. Follow or like our page. It'll be on your newsfeed on Facebook, and we give you our most up-to-date updates, uh, as up-to-date as I can get them, because I run that thing. Uh, I do the best I can to make sure that we have everything uh, that you would need to know as soon as we know it. We'll put it out there since we have credible information of what's going on. Let's move on and, and talk about something else. Uh, you were on the bargaining team for the five-year national agreement. In the middle of that agreement, uh, there's a midterm bargaining where each side can bring up five different articles. That is heading to crunch time. It's almost wrapping up at least the regular bargaining, uh, assuming that you don't have to bring in a third party or bring in uh, a, some kind of third party decision on this, which you want to avoid at all costs. You never know what a third party is going to say. We have talked about in previous podcasts what the issues are. Since we've been away for a while, remind everyone what the issues are, what NTU is pushing for, what management is pushing for. So when we see the final agreement, we'll get an idea of where this all came from. Yeah, right now it is the third and final uh, in-person bargaining session. And, you know, we've got National President Doreen uh, Greenwald there, Chief of Negotiations, uh, you know, Ken Moffitt, National Negotiator Jack Jarrett, and some very good uh, chapter presidents, including, uh, you know, one of my partners in crime and a frequent guest on this podcast, Lori McCann, to make sure that uh, employees' rights are being uh, taking care of as best they can be. And, you know, let's see what we can do to increase it. And what we're trying, what NTU is pushing for are two basic things. The first one is increase the percentage amount of salaries that go into the awards pool. And what this would do, it wouldn't necessarily, it wouldn't change the formula. It's still going to be the top 55% of a particular pool and ties that would get awards, but it would increase the amount of the awards that are given. So we think that's a very important thing. We think the IRS has it in their budget to be able to do this, and we're pushing hard for that. The second thing that we are trying to do is um, on the telework mileage limits, we're trying to basically have those eliminated. So you know, right now you have to live within 200 miles of your post of duty. And we're trying to have that eliminated. Now, it'll still be on you to appear in the pay, in the post of duty twice a pay period. That's just one of those OPM rules. But, you know, if you do live, want to live further away, and, you know, and I know people who've done this, fly in, things of that nature, 
you you have that availability to do that. So those are the two things that NTU is pushing hard for. IRS is pushing very hard on hoteling. And what we have across the country is there are an awful lot of empty cubicles across the country in different posts of duties, an awful lot. There are some places that you can uh, shoot a shotgun in and not hit anybody. Well, it appears that the IRS doesn't want to hire in those places. So that, you know, leads to a lot of, you know, wanting to do rent reductions and they want to do hoteling, which is also called desk sharing. And they want to go to beyond three to one. They can do three to one, uh, you know, right now. And they want to go, you have the ability to do beyond three to one without negotiating locally with the local chapters on the impact. You know, someplace like Indiana, if there's, if, you know, I understand desk sharing, I understand hoteling, but if we've got empty desks, why is there a need to desk share right now if there are empty desks? That's one of the points that's being made at the national level in these negotiations. So we're just waiting to see how that's going to be turning out. And like you said, is there going to be a need to go further in this with a uh, fact finder slash mediator, or is it going to be resolved this week? It'll be interesting, but I can tell folks that are listening and watching out there that NTU is pushing very hard for the best deal uh, that, that we can get for the employees. And I think that going to fact finding and arbitration is always uh, an option, but I would say, Duncan, that if you can get the agreement at the bargaining table with the two parties, that's a, the that is the best way to get it done if it can be done. So um, we'll be watching that closely and uh, and, and up, updating people on our Facebook page and on this this podcast as well. Something else is coming up, and it it's it's I think a little scary for some people. But I want you to explain what's going on. We've talked about this uh, on a few other podcasts, but there's a personnel security wave that is coming. 14,000 people, that's a big number. 14,000 employees in what are called moderate risk positions will be uh, having uh, these security uh, investigations done. Uh, I've been through them years ago. They used to be very intrusive. They took hours and hours to do. Uh, you say they've revamped them. It will still take some time for the employee to provide some information for this. So tell us again why this is being done and, and what's going to be expected of the employee when you're told, hey, it's your turn. You get the security reinvestigation now. Yeah. The first thing is, is these are for folks in moderate risk positions. And people are going, well, how do I know what's in a moderate risk in my position? Well, you go to your uh, specific PD, your position description, and it will have that about two-thirds of the way down the front page. And, you know, I can tell you, it, it, but it varies, you know, a slight difference in a job can do that. Uh, CSRs and accounts management, for instance, are low risk. They're not moderate risk, so they're not going to have these reinvestigations. Leads, however, have been made uh, moderate risk, so they would have these investigations. Um, you know, it, some managers will have them and, you know, bargaining unit employees may not or vice versa. It just depends. It all depends on what, when they did these uh, position descriptions that went through OPM, 
what did they, you know, judge the risk as? Basically, what kind of not damage you could create, but what information you have available, what could you do in a system, that sort of thing. So people are going to be like, oh my gosh, I've got this. What am I going to do? You're going to get notice on this. Uh, they have to send it out to your manager and yourself uh, 30 days ahead of time. They said they're going to do 14,000 people uh, this fiscal year. Uh, personally, I think that's a really, really lofty goal that they don't have a chance in to hit. Um, because I was just talking to somebody today who's uh, on their seventh month of waiting to hear back on this. So if they've got one person that's waiting seven months and they're going to do 14,000 in one year, okay. Um, but it's, you know, people are like, well, what am I going to have to include? There'll be a list. Um, you will get time to do it both gather your research and also, um, you know, you get eight hours on the clock to do this, to get this all filled out and submitted, and it's all done electronically. You have 15 work days from once you get the notice to be able to get this completed and in. And is it intrusive yet? Yeah, I don't think it's as intrusive as it used to be, especially for moderate risk and taking a look at the list. And if you go on the IR web and take a look at, uh, you know, just put in moderate risk investigations, you'll be able to see what type of information that they're going to be looking for. So uh, I guess the real question that nobody probably knows the answer to is this. And I know when I was a manager, I had an awful lot of my employees go through this, especially ones that were coming into my operation from another part of the service or new. Will these be government employees or contractors, or do we know these people doing the investigations? Uh, supposedly going to be government employees, I would bet big money that they're going to be contractors involved in this just because of the fact that sheer numbers they're talking about. They're just not going to have that many uh, able to do that uh, for the 14,000 people that they need. I just I just don't see that for strictly IRS employees. Now, they may get other, you know, they may get people from DOD or other governmental agencies that are part of government but not part of IRS to assist in this. We just don't know yet. All right, so we'll know later, but uh, 14,000 is the goal. We'll see if they get that goal as far as the reinvestigations among the IRS personnel. You gave a pretty good idea of what types of, of jobs are likely to, to undergo this. Something else that may impact employees. Um, the, the management is now saying that there will be a review of all position descriptions and organizational structures. OMG. <laughs> I mean, that, I, I know something about this. I've had to look these up in the past. Well, let's start with position descriptions. There's so many of them. And then you've got the organizational structures are changing all the time. So there's going to be a complete review of all that. So let's say you are told that your position description is under review. Should an employee be concerned about this, feel good, bad, or indifferent about it? Uh, basically, it's going to happen, uh, you know, they're giving this at least a few years to do through 27. So they'll be able to take some time. And once they do these reviews, they may do in-depth reviews. They may do quick reviews. We are not sure yet. We're still getting information on this. Um, 
you know, an employee may be asked to be part of a desk audit. Well, what's a desk audit? What do I have to do? They'll want to know what type of work you do on a day-to-day basis, what it entails, how depth in depth it goes, that sort of thing to make sure it has the proper grade. You know, and everybody always assumes that their position is going to get a higher grade, that it should be a higher grade. Just because you've got a ton of work doesn't mean it's a higher grade. It sucks when you have more work than you can handle. It absolutely does. And that's something that should be discussed with your manager. But that does not equate to a higher grade. It's the type of work that's being done, not the volume of work that's being done that's going to determine what grade that this comes out at. So I would not, if I were anybody, I would not lose any sleep over this. I wouldn't worry about it. If you're asked to participate, you and your manager will discuss it and figure out, you know, how to move forward and what information you need to supply. But at this point, we're still in the, uh, I wouldn't say infancy stage of this. I would say that, you know, this is just being uh, just born. So it's, it's very, very, very early in the process. And we're still at National NTU, still gathering information on exactly how this is going to work. Once we have more info, we'll absolutely pass that along. Okay, very good. Just, I guess the main thing is don't panic over this. Yep. If you have any questions, talk to your chapter. They can explain more. When Chapter 49, you talk to Duncan or one of his stewards in, in Indiana, anywhere in the country, you may be watching or listening, uh, just check with your own local chapter. There's something that's been around for a long time. It's called the Voluntary Relocation Program. I believe it's part of the contract, if I recall correctly. Uh, there's a deadline coming up on that. Explain what that program is, what it's for, who it's for, and about the deadline coming up. Yeah, let's say that you are uh, an employee in Indiana, and for whatever reason, be it relatives, be it warmer weather or something of that nature, uh, you would rather be in Atlanta. You'd rather be in a call site in Atlanta than in Indianapolis. So you put yourself on the voluntary relocation list that you can find on USA Jobs, and you know you put in for this. Okay, well, this means I'm going to get it, right? No, it doesn't. Uh, because there are certain steps that have to be gone through. There has to be an announced vacancy uh, for your, the position you're putting in for. So, you know, there's this, this is almost like the first step in, I want to go there, but it doesn't mean you're going to go there through this process. As I always tell people, avail yourself of every opportunity. The voluntary relocation list is a great one. Um, you know, if you want to go to a position in a particular post of duty and they have a vacancy, you know, by all means, keep your eye on USA Jobs and apply for that vacancy. You know, that's the easiest one. If you have a hardship, you know, your spouse has been transferred to Atlanta. So you want to get down there with their also do the hardship process. So this is just one of the many options that we have to try and move folks where we want to, where they want to be. Um, in the best way possible. Just thinking, Duncan, it is January. I mean, is there an IRS office in Key West? (laughs) Um, I don't know, but I I think (laughs) you and I'd be happy to go down there and investigate if there isn't one to see, you know, if there should be one there or Marathon. If we should uh, get a detail and count the chickens in Key West. (laughs) Um, There was a recent meeting uh, with SBSE, NTU officials, management and and union officials, a large number of them. 
And there were a number of issues raised. You shared that with me. I read that. It was quite an interesting document. Couldn't wouldn't have time to go through everything in there today on this podcast. But one major theme I, I found in that, which deals with revenue officers, revenue agents, tax compliance officers, some other occupations within those general areas of work, is that there are always seem to be inventory problems. People just don't have a reasonable amount of inventory to get their work done. And it's particularly true of people in OJI as on-the-job instructor assignments, thinking mostly in collection, where nobody would sign up for OJI because you were expected to work your inventory and be an OJI, an almost impossible time management uh, scenario for you. Uh, so uh, I'm, I would like your perspective on this as far as NTEs push to get reasonable inventories and the way the management has been responding to that. Yeah, and one of the things that we've been hearing, especially for this fiscal year, is going to be there's going to be a lot of enforcement hiring, a lot of revenue officers, revenue agents, TCOs, et cetera, across the board, and they're going to need to be trained. And if you have an inventory that you have to concentrate on, that's very, you know, all of our inventory is time sensitive, you don't really have the ability to give these folks the uh, the training and mentoring on the job that they need. So collection has stepped up first, uh, and I'm very thankful that they've agreed to do this, is they are taking the inventory from on-the-job instructors while they're doing this so that they can, you know, 100% be doing the job of trying to help these new folks. Not only do I think it's a great thing for the uh, employees through the OJIs, I think it'll truly help retention of these field folks who, you know, may feel uh, lost over the last couple of years because they're not getting the information and attention perhaps they need because the the OJIs are spread too thin. So we're hoping that the other business divisions will follow the lead of collection and, you know, basically say, okay, we're going to take your inventory. It's it's the classic short-term pain for long-term gain scenario. And we really hope the rest of the IRS will follow through with this um, in the field, folks, for ROs, RAs, CCOs, et cetera, to be able to do this to, you know, make it a better experience for everyone. So, Duncan, uh, you did something recently. You read your earnings and leave statement, something everyone should always do. When you checked yours, you found something very interesting. What did you find? Yeah, my uh, my check was different. My check, I don't have overtime. I'm, you know, very steady. So my check should always, my deposit should always be the same. Well, my deposit was higher than it should have been. So I went into my earnings and leave statement, took a look, and lo and behold, they had decided to not take out any of my state or county taxes. Um, and it's not where I'm at a limit or anything like that where they have to stop. It just basically stopped. I have extra money taken out of my state taxes to make sure that I uh, don't owe at the end of the year. That still remained. So, you know, I did exactly what you're supposed to do. Came in, went on IRWorks, did up a ticket, uh, got a response back the next day basically saying, well, you know, there are sometimes policy adjustments that happen with taxes and, you know, I'll look into it and get back to you. 
The day following that, the person said, well, something happened with NFC. We're not sure what. And they take forever to respond. So, you know, we'll, we'll work into this and look into it. So once I came back, I was able to, yesterday, I was able to add to my ticket and basically say, oh, yeah, for the last two pay periods, they didn't take it out either. So it's very important, you know, make sure you know what you're being deposited. And if you have um, overtime or you're, uh, you maybe have some leave without pay for whatever reason and your checks are, you know, different amounts, always check your leave and earnings statement. Make sure that you know, you know, that everything is properly being done, that the right taxes are being taken out so you can catch it early uh, rather than, you know, have a bad surprise at the end of the year. Well, I didn't know they weren't taking out my state and county taxes. Well, the IRS does expect you to pay your state income taxes, right? Absolutely. So you better stay on that if it's not being withheld and you think it is. Yes, exactly. You, you, you don't want to get into any kind of an issue with that later <laughs> for not paying your, your state taxes. Okay, Duncan, time for your final comment. You know, I just, uh, as you noted at the start, I was just coming off of a uh, my traditional. I usually have a lot of user loose, uh, so I took it at the end of the year. And, yeah, just spending time with uh, family and friends, in particular, uh, you know, my daughter Madison, her her husband Travis, um, and you know, just spending time with them and you know, any moment that I am able to spend with my wonderful wife Kim is well worth it. So, you know, I just want to say I so appreciate the time off, but I'm always, you know, when I come back, I am ready to get back to what I need to do. And that's making sure that the um employees in the state of Indiana and several times a year across the service are well taken care of, not being abused, and their rights are being upheld. My final comment is really something we've talked about a lot on this podcast, even this one, has to do with telework. OPM did a study on telework for the fiscal year 2022. It takes a long time to roll this information and this data up. But in that period of all the federal employees and all the different uh, civilian workforce areas of, the, of, of federal employment, 46% of federal workers took some kind of telework. Might have been brief, might have been extensive, but 46%, almost half of all federal employees did some telework. But the biggest finding of this study was that productivity is not hindered, despite what some people in Congress say. In fact, productivity is enhanced when you do telework. So I think we all just need to keep in mind that telework is not is a benefit for a lot of people, but it's not a benefit to sit on your couch and and then watch a replay of the University of Michigan winning the national championship. Uh, you're, what you're going to do is do your work. And the data show that people working from home generally are working more productively. I rest my case, Duncan. Yep, I couldn't put it any better. Okay, you just heard Duncan Giles. He's our chapter president here at Chapter 49, uh, representing IRS employees in the state of Indiana. We thank you for joining us. Uh, we've been away for a while because of the holidays and uh, Duncan got some well-deserved time off.
you know, I'm, I'm a retiree. I don't exactly get time off, I guess. It's just I'm, I'm always retired in that sense. But we thank you again for watching and listening. Please be safe and be kind.